platforms that are diametrically opposed in their ideologies and who absolutely hate each other. episode 42 of the Narrative Wargamer podcast, a non-competitive 40k podcast with a focus on fun and narrative gameplay, as well as hobby news on our latest hobby projects. I am Tony Rhodes, and tonight I'm joined by Dan Wellington. Hello. As always, before we get started, you can find us at Narrative Wargamer on Facebook, or you can follow us on Twitter at Narrative40k and on Instagram at Narrative Wargamer. You can also contact us via email at narrativewargamer at gmail.com if you have any questions or if you would like to join us on a future episode. If you want to support the show and help us grow, you can do so by joining our Patreon from only $2 a month. As a supporter, you can listen to our bonus episodes on Patreon and gain access to our patrons-only group chat. The support from our patrons helps us produce the show and goes towards awesome new content for you guys in the future. Finally, if you want to support the show for free, you can do by visiting the awesome folks over at Elman Games for all your hobby supplies and gaming miniatures. Just use our affiliate link below to visit their web store, and that way any purchases you make will directly help support the podcast. Links for everything are in the description below, so please check them out and get involved with the growing community. So Dan, we're back already. We're back. Yep. After a, uh, a somewhat slightly delayed episode last time uh we're back again very soon so hopefully uh, to our listeners out there <laughs> we're, we're actually recording only the day or so after the last episode went live yep um so hopefully, hopefully it will to... be back to back uh episodes out within a week of each other everyone's happy rather than I mean, I guess we'll see, won't we, if this episode is delayed for some reason. <laughs> yeah, I mean, hopefully it shouldn't be any reason why it gets delayed and it can be turned around uh, pretty quickly. So hopefully, because it's back-to-back week-to-week, I think, hopefully that's the goal. So we apologise if that didn't happen, and uh, <laughs> <laughs> but we're, we're very glad if it did. <laughs> Let us know. <laughs> um, but yeah, so, I mean, to be honest, part of the reason for that is because... I just really, really, really want to talk about tonight's topic. <laughs> so <laughs> I didn't want to delay getting an episode out about it because uh, for the first time in a while, we are going to be looking at and um, reviewing one of these Crusade mission packs. In particular, the latest one, uh, which is the Wars of Faith mission pack. And I mean, I'm not going to be able to sort of hide this fact from the, <laughs> throughout the show. I think it's great. <laughs> Uh, okay like i'm gonna go into why we're gonna break it down and look at this sort of belief system that runs through this whole mission pack we're gonna go through a mission from each like category of game scale like we usually do and uh yeah it's i think it's great it's it's shot straight up to my favorite <laughs> and well we'll, uh, we'll discuss why later in the show so hang around for that i mean you are well, one of the one of the people who has them all right so uh, uh yes if anyone would know yeah it's funny um i was chatting away in the um masters of the forge uh, discord the other week and someone was asking about 
um, sort of which mission packs to get if you're going to pick up their first one and so on. And uh, I basically give them a helpful breakdown um, of why you sort of feel like each mission pack brings you know, like to, to your 40k experience. Yeah. Um, because I do think all of them have brought, you know, various... I think all of them have brought something a little extra and a little different. Like, not just in sort of concept, but in the ways that, like... I've said it many times before, I think Plague Purge is great for 40k plus, as it were. Like, you know, if you're used to playing your standard match play missions, and you're looking for something to sort of just expand on that with Crusade, Plague Purge is great for that. Equally, I think... Um, I mean, it's the Ashes is great for just playing on usual missions. It's got um, a selection of missions that are more out of the box thinking and, you know, more asymmetrical or break the sort of traditional concepts of what a standard 40k game is. But okay. I don't think you need to bother a great deal with the progression system in that pack. I think that, right. that's kind of a you could cut that out and not bother with it. And it's still a great pack. Um, and Wars of Faith is it's it's got its very own deal, <laughs> and uh, <laughs> like I say, it's it's, it's going to be the subject of an entire episode. So, um, we'll okay then. That in a bit. So you can tell us all about it in a bit. Yeah. Yeah. Um, however, uh, we are also going to actually go over a couple of games played in a little bit because I believe you've got a few crusading games under your belt recently. Uh, I have, yes. yes and uh, while I actually don't have any recent games, I have got one lined up for a couple of days' time, so um, that should be interesting for me. And I do have, cool. I've got one I'll mention from actually before Christmas, which was a good game and I've not talked about on the show yet, but it's a, <laughs> a little back in memory, but a good one. <laughs> I was going to say, that's a long time ago now. Yeah, well, unfortunately, I've been busy over the new year. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, uh, and then, as always, uh, this is your regular weekly reminder at this point <laughs> that Crucible <laughs> of War is coming. So we're now in March, and um, we're about what, six, seven weeks away now from um, when the Crucible of War event takes place. Uh, in Belper on April 30th and tickets are yep. still selling we still have some available at this time but uh, go check them out there'll be links in the description below as there have always been recently um, to the yep. event pack to the uh, events page on uh, tabletop events website where you can buy tickets for the day um, people are getting more and more excited about it now um, I get messages from people on like, Instagram that I know are going talking about the event getting all excited um, people are sending me pictures now of their units and armies that are close to completion, ready for oh, the excellent. event. Um, and I've now made it up to, I think, I think it's mission 12. I'm currently writing the mission details for, <laughs> out of the 16. I mean, you you, you did that to yourself. <laughs> uh, but I'm hoping it's going to really, like, you know, shine on the day sort of thing everybody yeah. there um, and funnily enough one of those missions which I think is mission 9 I can't remember now but I've already done it um, is going to be from Wars of Faith cool and yes it is going to include the belief system so 
Cool. There, there will be some uh, briefing for players before they get into that game as to sort of how and what extra fun toys they have to play with the game. So yeah, if you want to look forward to playing lots of missions from lots of different sources and publications, including at least one mission from each of the core Crusade mission packs. We don't have a Planet Strike one, we don't have a multiplayer one, but we do have all of our standard uh, mission packs that are for two players. So yes, tickets are available now. Uh, go check them out. Uh, it, it'd be great to see people there. Like I say, we, it already sounds like it's going to be a great day. Um, we've got plenty of people going to be there already, but there are still tickets available at time of recording. So if, you sound, if you're interested, go check it out and uh, we'll see you there. So yeah, uh, I think that's sort of everything before we dive into this properly. So um, we'll move on now to games played. Games played. And we're back. So we are... It's been a little while since we last caught up with our games played. Um, in yep. fact, as I say, the game I played that I'm going to talk about actually happened back in December. Oof. It wasn't actually the most recent game I played, but it stood out because it was a big multiplayer 4,000 point game. Uh, okay, yeah, I can imagine that would stand out. <laughs> um, so I guess I'll just dive in with that quickly because given the nature of it, yeah. obviously, I don't remember specific details about you know the roles and turns and stuff but it was a big fun game where um, basically i played with one of my regular friends and two of his other sort of like warhammer buddies who i've i've met for the first time for this game um so okay. that was great because you know me if i meet somebody new for a game of 40k i'm probably going to be their first uh, first time contacting the the narrative side of the game <laughs> um <laughs> yeah with my sort of suggestions about how to approach playing a game, whether it's a pick-up-and-play or it's part of a the start of a campaign or if it's Crusade or not. And um, my, my suggestions, obviously we'd, we'd been in a WhatsApp chat before the day and stuff, so we'd you know, planned it out a little bit. Um, but my suggestion had been, let's play a Crusade mission. Let's play an Onslaught yeah. Um And um, obviously, I suggested Plague Purge. <laughs> as the mission pack in question or at least i was going to because um on the day i was going to be like why don't we play from this mission pack because i think these are going to be great what we're doing um and i had an onslaught mission in mind i was like i think it's going to be really good and i got there on the day and my regular friend um and play had also picked up plague purge and had a look through it and coincidentally picked the same mission from the onslaught section because <laughs> he thought it be a good one for us to play so that just to me shows good mission design <laughs> that we felt uh, yeah <laughs> um so we played i can't remember the exact name of it but basically it was the onslaught version of the fallout mission so it was right the one yep there's a um a big radius in the center of the table where if you're in the fallout zone as it's called um everything is a plus one to wound targets in the fallout zone yeah it's nasty yeah um and then being onslaught it was being played with seven objectives because there was one in the center of the fallout zone and then three on each opposite diagonal table quarter cool 
um, which meant that you had one in each of your deployment zones because it was corner deployments. And then there were two in the adjacent no man's lands on both sides of your table quarter. Right. Um, and, and, and in terms of scoring, it played out like, you know, I think it was hold two, hold three, hold more because of the size of the game. But then obviously yep. the wrinkle being that typically to try and hold more probably meant committing to holding something in the irradiated fallout blast yes. in the center. Bit dangerous. Yeah. And um, yeah, it was a, it was a, it was a fun old game because we played um, all four thousand points aside, four thousand points worth of orcs on my side nice. of the table. Um, so I actually brought three k of death skulls, and my friend brought one uh, k of pure beast snagger um, snake bites. Cool. Yes, I approve. Yep, <laughs> Dan would approve of this, no doubt. And they were indeed. Converted with various um, Age of Sigma orcs, you know, like in their nice. like proper sort of like, like he was go- he plays he collects them as feral orcs and plays them as snake bites because I yeah. think are feral orcs even a thing at the moment. I don't think they are. Are they? They were briefly a specialist detachment in Psychic Awakening, but and not right now in the York Codex. No, yeah, yeah. Um, Mad boys, I guess it was. Uh, yeah. It was a specialist mob when specialist mobs were your entire army. Yes. Yeah, in the yeah. Psychic Wake thing. And now a specialist mob, a specialist mob is obviously just a, a unit. Well, I mean, obviously in this case now, having gone from being a specialist mob of feral boys to basically now being beast snaggers, I suppose is a reasonable yeah. change. Um, I mean, they're quite good. Yeah, and he, he had Squigog Boys, and um, he basically had the contents of the um, uh, the release box. For the yeah. Snaggers. He had that twice, plus a kill rig and a one nice. on the big Squigasaur. Squigasaur, that's the one, yeah. Yeah. It, but um, he was armed with a, um, a big spear from the Age of Sigma range. Nice. So uh, he, riding forwards with sort of like a big javelin style spear on the top of this big squig it looks pretty cool cool um and then i just brought basically everything i owned <laughs> in order to make 3k of orcs yep so uh, my, my full air wing which was legal because i had free aircraft in an onslaught scale game <laughs> um and then like the gorkanaw and the uh, gun wagon full of mega knobs and Megaround Warboss, 60 Orc Boys in various mobs, Commandos, Death Copters, by Contingent of Buggies. It's like 3,000 points of Death Skull Orcs. It's more or less a little bit of everything from the Codex except Beast Snaggers. But that's fine because we had another player purely bringing Beast Snaggers. Yeah, yeah. So it was, it was a good rounded representation of the Orc Codex. Um, and then on the opposite side of the table, 2k each. We were playing against uh, Thousand Sons and mm-hmm. technically Imperial Knights, which obviously <laughs> there was some kind of Zinchian trickery going on as to why they were clearly clearly recently turned Chaos Knights, <laughs> still yeah. abiding by their Imperial Creed at this point in time. Um, so yeah, um, there were three big Stompy Knights, uh, three Armagers... Um, and then various thousand suns, including a big unit of chaos spawns. I think it was like six spawns. Cool. 
Araman, a big unit of like 10 Scarab Occults, uh, the, uh, I think he was playing Cult of Time, I think it was. This was also my first experience seeing the Cabal points in play. <laughs> it's interesting. Um, yes, interesting is definitely the word for it. Um, there was no <laughs> no big demons, so there was no Magnus or Bellicor or even a lot of change. It was just basically power armored Thousand Sons. Yeah. Um, plus, I think a Orchfiend. Okay. Um, but yeah, it was a, it was a good old scrap. It basically involved um, the Bee Snaggers launching themselves at the um, the. First armager and the two leading knights. Um, after sort of two turns of mayhem, variously petering out and being mostly dead <laughs> um, on kind of both sides. Uh, for then sort of my second wave of um, buggies and boys and all my death skull stuff to basically sort of crash in and um, start to overwhelm the the remaining armor during the last night and uh, but while all that was happening the thousand sons were reaping a bit of a toll because they were sort of deployed behind the knights as it were right so they were being more um sneaky yeah they, they were taking their time about it and advancing onto objectives and um teleporting around a unit of 10 rubrics uh, with flamers there was, there was a particular um, Overwatch which was horrendous because I think I'd whittled the squad down to have seven flamers and then I was happy to commit to a charge of 20 odd boys. And because, like, he was. There's still only strength four, I believe. I can't, I, can't, I can't remember if that's right or not, but either way, he's wounding on either fours or fives if they are strength five flamers. Um, yeah, I can't remember. I think there might be a strat to boost the strength or a psychic power or something. Yeah, I, I think the circumstance was such that I knew they were only going to be strength 4 hits. Um, right. So, even though I was going to be taking 7d6 with a flamer hits, I was like, what, on average, you're looking at about maybe 20 hits, you know, but then that's on 5s, so only, what, um, 7 of them are going to convert to wounds. I might even save like one or two because i forget of the custom force field in effect i might lose somewhere between five to ten orcs on a good to bad roll and then that hmm. unit is then tied up they're in combat and i actually probably i'm going to start hacking them to pieces and i can get the mega knobs into them and all sorts and everything else so they lie in the following turn so so what actually happened what actually happened was he spiked um his uh his <laughs> overwatch and his number of shots and I think out of his seven dice, he rolled five sixes and two fives <laughs> for shots. <laughs> um, That's spicy. Yeah, because I, I think we worked it out as like basically the wound roll was about average for the amount he was rolling, but the amount he was rolling was what was spiked. Yeah. Um, and in the end, I had the knob left on one wound for me <laughs> when I meant, went to make my charge. <laughs> <laughs> Um, oh, no. What was hilarious though was that he made it in. He actually did kill um, two of the Thousand Sons because his weapon is damaged two. Um, and they didn't kill him back because at that point he's got like four regular Rubric Marines and the Sorcerer. And I think the Sorcerer whiffed these attacks. Um, so this knob that actually <laughs> stood there. And 
obviously, then there was morale. And I, I wasn't going to burn the CP on keeping him there, but he actually rolled the one for the morale check and stayed. Classic. Um, so he held him up for a turn. And, and then I think they ended up punching each other for another turn um, before he actually died in my following turn. <laughs> nice. Um, so so he fun. did his job. Yeah, basically, I didn't kill the unit until the war boss smashed into them next turn, but I was hoping to have killed them initially and then over onto the objective because piling in would have got me onto it and stuff. So it was, uh... but it was a really good game where there was a lot of toing and throwing like that. Um, basically, the orcs and the knights were committing to units on objectives each turn before those units died after claiming the points for the turn. While the thousand sons kind of sat back and blasted anything that did come into range, be although they were getting very wound up by the five up feel no pain against the mortal wounds that my death scrolls had. Ah, like my buggies yeah. just weren't my buggies were not dying at the rate they should have done based on the number of um, mortal wound saves they made. Yeah. Um. So yeah, it was it was a good game, and I think we got to the end of turn three. Um, when we had to sort of call it at the time and we were we just started to pull ahead because we'd scored enough to basically be ahead by like you know five points or the equivalent every turn so we were just ahead and the chaos forces only really had the big unit of um scarab occults and aramon basically untouched and like a unit sat on right. objective but they can't hold hold all the objectives with just that. Yeah, basically they weren't they weren't going to be able to remove uh, enough of our remaining units each turn to actually pull ahead on the scoring, and we were just going to stay ahead of the score for the yeah. next two game turns. Um, so we we ended up like mapping it out and uh, working out as a sort of like a narrow victory to the Orcs in the end. It was a it was a good game. Cool. Sounds like a proper scrap. It was. It was a good scrap. So that was my sort of one big 4K game that I've played in the last couple of months. Um, <laughs> but how about you, Dan? You've had several smaller, by comparison, Crusade games. Yeah, I, I mean, yeah. I've, I've had a whole load of games uh, fairly recently. Um, but specifically, I've had... My, my past three games have all been Crusade. So uh, it's kind of appropriate to talk to them talk about them here um so first i had uh i had a game with my death guard uh which uh, obviously you have experienced several times several um, several times and i wish i could find more ways to include damage free weapons in my orcs but that might, that <laughs> might not at all be the reason why i'm attempting to paint up as many rocket based weaponries <laughs> as i can yeah well not at all not at all well, yeah, I, I um, took the, uh, the the Crusade force that played against your orcs a couple of times uh, against Necrons. Um, uh, the Necrons of uh, Sharpie, who is one of our uh, patrons, I believe. Mm. And uh, he's actually who I have a game lined up with this weekend. Which is really lovely because it's, it's going to be my first time meeting him in person. Uh, so always the best way I find to make new friends is over a game of 40k these days. Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. Even if well, I'm sure you'll have fun. As I say, even if set, said new friend is going to be using custodies, but ah. <laughs> uh, right. <laughs> so we've got um. 
So we've got, uh, yeah, I so I played against Necrons. I've got my Death Guard um, with the <laughs> with the uh, Plague Burst Crawler that grew spider legs in our last game, <laughs> which is funny. Um, and we uh, we drew the um, the game from the the core rulebook, which uh, is called Supplies from Above. Uh, which is a, a like a normal match play style six objective mission, except that every turn the objectives get blown around in the wind as they're they're dropping in from the sky, so you're never quite sure where they're going to end up before you uh, before you get to scoring them. So it makes scoring quite interesting because you've got to sort of surround them if you want to want to be sure. Yeah, is, is that because? Like you said, they they move before the scoring's calculated, which is obviously yes. after you've had yeah. the opportunity to move units to try and chase them. <laughs> yeah, they move at the start of the battle round and you score at the start of your command phase or the end of your command phase. Yeah, I bet that leads to some interesting situations. Yeah. So I had quite a few times when the uh, I was in position to score and then the objectives ran away. <laughs> um, it, it basically boiled down to necrons one on points but got uh kind of battered by the the nurgle forces um we had a very cinematic moment when a, a you know terminators jumped out of deep strike uh but right next to some big green like waste tanks uh so we just said that obviously they were hiding in them because <laughs> they're nurgle right so they just burst out of these big disgusting bio sludge tanks or whatever and charged some necron warriors and beat them all up uh, so in the end, I picked up loads of experience points, but I did in fact lose the game. Uh, but hey ho, it's it's Crusade, so as I guess it, that's pretty much the second optimum way to play Crusade, isn't it? Yeah, I've been there many a time. Just get all the experience. Yeah, uh, and then I, after that, I played a couple of smaller Crusade games at the uh, the Combat Patrol level, um, with my uh, Admech Force. Uh, so obviously this again you've played against them um but this is a new crusade as it were i'm taking part in a a kind of league campaign thing at, at the uh, friendly local gaming store um so the first month is uh 25 power level games oh, yeah, and then each like month it'll escalation. it'll increase by yeah each, each month it'll increase by 25 power level uh until we do like 100 power um, so there, I think there's going to be eight games in total, four at each step, or two at each of the four steps. Yeah. Uh, Ooh, two but anyway, games. yeah. That, so I've I played two little games, uh, Admech against uh, Salamanders first. Um, uh, that was playing. We these were both using the Plague Purge mission pack, uh, yeah. and that game was. Do, 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 do tech relic uh, so obviously my admec were all over that and and you very uh, very definitely made use of all those interesting new additional stratagems in the plague purge mission pack right? i absolutely did not <laughs> um in in fairness at combat patrol level you only start with three command points anyway yeah uh, so i very quickly used them all on making my rust orcas really killy as you do yeah, as you like do. you say, at that scale of game maybe doesn't translate as usefully, but yeah, yeah. Don't 
do not forget those uh, bonus strategies. They definitely exist. Like yeah. They, they, yeah. There is definitely a designer's note equivalent in the mission <laughs> in Crucible of War that says, go to page 17 of this mission pack and use these stratagems. Because they are there for this mission. Nice. Yeah. Well, anyway, <laughs> we saw some tech. We grabbed it. Uh, Admech won that game. Um, then the second game was against Night Lords. Uh, and this was the, the baby version of the mission you played. Um, uh, so uh, the, the Fallout one. Yeah. Uh, which was, was kind of interesting because uh, the board is so small, like the Fallout Zone was relatively massive. <laughs> yeah, I can imagine. So it was like, none of the objectives were actually in it, but if you went anywhere near the middle of the board, you were in it. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, again, I managed to win that one. Uh, my opponent had a Land Raider at a combat patrol game, which was quite fun, because uh, we, we finally found a, a version of 40k where the Land Raider is good. Isn't it any with Black Templars? Uh, I suppose so. But, um, <laughs> but also. Yeah, like, the Land Raider basically killed, like, three quarters of my army on its own. <laughs> it was quite impressive. Uh, but on, on the last turn, I managed to destroy it. Uh, sadly, though, I wasn't able to salvage it for Archaeotech because you need to do that action, like, to, on. It takes a full turn to do the action for that agenda so i wasn't able to grab any juicy archaeotech items out of it which is a shame uh but i did use some requisition to to pick up an archaeotech item at the end uh so my crusade now is the proud owner of an acidic conductor Ooh, so is that the first one of your like admech yes fancy um, yes relics. so that is a um it's a generator part or a powered part or whatever it is that's like you need to combine with one of the other parts to make the archaeotech item Lovely. if you remember the big big pages oh, of tables I, I, that we talked the about yeah, the tables upon tables yeah i've been looking forward to rolling on those tables for a long time <laughs> <laughs> well you're almost there yep so there we go lovely it sounds like you've been busy out crusading I have. Like I say, I'm looking forward to getting in some uh, Crusade games in the near future as well. Because I would very much like to make them some Wars of Faith games. Ooh. So yeah, we're going to move on now to look at the Wars of Faith mission pack. That is going to be basically the subject for the rest of the show. So get ready for that because it's going to be good. <laughs> so excited to talk about this one. I'll come back in a minute. We'll see why. <laughs> Are you enjoying the Narrative Wargamer podcast? If you are, why not check out our community Facebook group at Narrative Wargamer on Facebook. We share our latest hobby projects and narrative battles and aim to grow a community for casual and narrative 40k players. We're always excited to see the awesome things our listeners are working on and it is a great place to hang out with other like-minded hobbyists. You can also find us on Instagram at Narrative Wargamer and over on Twitter at Narrative40k regular hobby updates on our 40k projects
you gets listen up now and listen good. The boss has got a message for you all. It looks like some of the boys have been joining the war before they got themselves a proper pen job. How are you kids supposed to get any proper crumping done without a lucky blue chopper or dead flashy shooter, eh? The boss is going to be breaking heads if he captures any of you without a proper paint job. So get your ugly hides, tell the paint boy over at Narrative Wah Painter. He'll fix you up good and proper, you hear me? Right. Narrative Wah Painter is now open for painting commissions. Specialising in good quality, army-wide standards, you can get a quote today by contacting me at narrativewargamer at gmail.com to discuss any potential hobby projects and so I can help you conquer your horde of grey plastic. You can also check out examples of my work over on Instagram at Narrative Wargamer. Right you gits, get your loot in the truck and zog off to the paintboy. It better be redder and faster when you get back. And make sure to tell them Red Tooth sent you. You might get some extra special. And we're back, guys. And we are very excited. <laughs> because this mission pack, oh, it's, it's, it's great. I just, I, I love it. I, I, I can't, like I say, just up front, I have to say, this is, I think it's great. I, I, I'm going to be so giddy as we go through it all. Because I'll see, as I was reading all this, I was just like, this speaks to me. This is narrative wargamer and the way to play as I envision it, you know, basically, because it's just got so much baked in <laughs> narrative to these games, but without having to be overly complicated. So be be before I get too excited and start jumping into game mechanics, first of all, a little rundown of um, what a mission pack is for those who have not listened to one of these episodes before or had the opportunity to pick one of these up. So the yep. mission packs, they are spiral bound um, little binder books from Games Workshop, which apparently, am I right in thinking that the, the GT mission pack recently is not spiral bound? You're correct. Yeah. It's very disappointing. But so so yeah. these, not disappointing. These are great. These are still spiral bound. <laughs> Brilliant quality. And equally, unlike the recent um, GT mission pack, which I believe no longer has the mini core rules in it. Correct. Yes. This mission pack does still have the bonus mini rulebook in it. Hey. So, again, all of them to date have always come with the uh, the spiral bound mini rulebook in the back. So, again, in additions past, getting hold of a mini rulebook was like gold dust sometimes. <laughs> so, the fact that these yeah. just exist on the shelf and you can pick them up, great. So, don't forget that yeah. extra bonus with these. Um, equally, though, for those who perhaps might expect Crusade mission packs to be full of lore and background and narrative, funnily enough, they're nope. not. Not in terms of actual pages of like reading materials. So there's about five pages of lore yeah. in here that's basically just setting the scene for the Natchmond Gauntlet and you know Abaddon having basically wrecked up Vigilus and now <laughs> on on his way elsewhere. Um, yeah. Because ultimately, that's not really what these are about. That's more what your campaign supplements are for. So, you know, and there will be an upcoming episode soon covering all the lore in the uh, Vigilus Alone Warzone book. Um, hey. Instead, the narrative in these books is in the games. It's in the game mechanics. It's in the missions. It's actually played out on the tabletop between the players. That's 
where the lore and narrative of these mission packs really sinks in. So yeah, Fair enough. We're gonna jump straight into what is essentially the main gimmick of um, Wars of Faith, because as always, it comes with um, sort of twenty-four plus, and not plus, just twenty-four new missions, um, six at each scale of game. Cool. Um, it comes with a selection of new agendas, which are tied to the game mechanics in this book, as well as some of the uh, more generic ones, things like you know, uh, Reaper and uh, Master of the Warp and stuff like that are still options, but there are also a slew of new agendas that gain you rec resources and benefits um, tied to this belief point system. And yeah, there's um, there's even a new battle traits table in here, which we'll, we'll touch on shortly. Uh, but essentially, as I sort of mentioned at the top of the show, some of these mission packs, well, first of all, all of them come with um, a mechanic system in them. It might be something like Plague Purge, where it's basically, here are a list of extra stratagems, and you use either set A or B, depending on the mission. It could yep. be like um, Amidst the Ashes, where it's a whole progression system, tracking unique keywords and upgrade trees. But that's not really that important to actually just playing the cool missions in that pack well in wars of faith the mechanical system in here is the belief point system um and the use of idols in games kind of clues in the name really isn't it then yeah basically unlike things in amidst the ashes and even plague purge where you could play those missions without um using the specific add-on mechanics you can't do that in Wars of Faith. They are baked into the nature of the missions and how they play. But they're, they're really good. They're straightforward, but with plenty of depth. So, basically, there's a sort of starting point. So in here, there's a list of different faiths, which basically represent different belief systems of... Uh, theologies and philosophies and stuff across the various factions in 40k um, and each of them all the factions are listed and assigned to one of these overarching types of faiths and when you're playing with your crusade force depending on your faction will determine which basically faith tree you use you know like which level of progression system is tied to your particular faith right there are five levels to each faith um, and that's based on your total number of belief points so okay. you, you start at level 1 even though you're yep. with 0 belief points um, and as you gain more you'll progress up through levels 2 3, 4 and 5 you mm -hmm. earn belief points by winning games and completing agendas and you also lose belief points for losing a game but as is typically the way, you get more from winning than you do from losing. If that makes sense. Yeah. So you gain two belief points for winning a game, but only lose one for losing a game. Yeah. So typically, you should just naturally keep increasing. And that's not accounting for the ones you'll gain as yeah. victory bonuses and agenda payouts. Yeah, I think, um, I think they've been relatively consistent with this sort of thing in crusade in that you're clearly expected to have about a 50 percent win rate yeah 
it's it's not like a you're supposed to win every game to get good like tournament style thing is it it's you know your crusade progresses regardless of how actually good you are at this game so what does gaining all these belief points net like get you well the more belief points you have the higher the tiers of your belief faith you have access to so they, they scale from you know like um, not to free belief points is level one, 48 is level two, all the way up to like 25 plus, you know, for top level. And what these belief levels are basically a list of special abilities. Now, these special abilities in game are all centered on the idols that you'll be playing with. So, all the missions in these mission packs make use of idols which are a new kind of unique battlefield marker now importantly they're not strictly speaking objective markers okay that's because most of the missions will make use of both objective markers and idols so they're sort of like two separate entities okay idols are affiliated to you as a player and your faction whereas objective markers are neutral things you know on the, on the board yep um there are some missions where like there are no objective markers as a result and instead idols basically act as the things that you're typically trying to destroy or construct in order to score victory points for that particular mission okay but technically for anything that interacts with like rules uh, like anything that interacts yep. with objective markers idols are not objective markers that's obviously quite important in crusade because a lot of the agendas relate to objective markers and the like yeah or stratagems or abilities or anything that references yeah. objective markers those are for objective markers not idols yeah cool however that doesn't mean that they're not worth controlling <laughs> okay because um so all idols at the start of a battle round, and this is like every battle round you, you pick, um, you pick one of your available belief bonuses and all idols on the battlefield, all your idols on the battlefield, gain that special ability for that battle round. Okay. So I figured we'd go through two of our sort of uh, typical faiths of choice here. So for you, Dan, I assume you'd like to hear more about the faith of the Adeptus Mechanicus. Sure, why not? <laughs> so um, they are one of the two factions that are affiliated with the Machina Eternal faith. Um, the other one being Necrons. <laughs> okay. Because a few of these will touch on the concept more of philosophies and ideals rather than necessarily religion. Like Necrons, yeah. not religious as such, but they definitely venerate machines. They venerate technology and knowledge and themselves pretty much more than anything else. So I, th I think what we're really talking about isn't faith as like you know we would think of it in the real world now. We're thinking of forty k, uh, like warp shenanigans, metaphysics stuff, right? Yeah, this is I'm assuming um, related to the fact that. Uh, Vigilus and the the Nakmund area is sat right in the middle of the uh, uh, the Great Rift, and there's a whole lot of crazy warp stuff going on around it. 
Yeah, it's kind of the whole universe post 8th edition and the opening of the Great Rift, and in particular post the events of yeah. Psychic Awakening, are kind of representing the fact that there's a greater, larger manifestation of belief and miracles and reality-defying um, anomalies across the galaxy because of how in flux and how influenced reality and real space is now by the warp because of the great rift and yeah. there's many examples now in you know uh, black library novels codexes even cinematic trailers now you know of things like um devote followers of the emperor and the belief in him allowing him to manifest small miracles and so on which effectively is yeah. more psychic emanations from people who might not be awakened psychers but basically all living beings are on some level psychic and influence the warp and vice versa and that's just the nature of the universe now post great rift yeah so we're, we're not necessarily talking about these are all things that your army is literally like praying for this salvation of these the rules that these idols give you or whatever it's it's a thing that happens yeah. Uh, that maybe that I maybe I guess the they army is praying for it, but maybe it's just a thing that happens because of their sort of innate beliefs or you know just the way they are. I mean, it is notably a belief system as opposed to a religious system, if that makes yeah. sense. You know? Yeah. The the Tao very much believe in the greater good, and you know there will be some manifestations sometimes of. You know the influences of the concept of the greater good bringing about belief or conviction in their actions or something that leads those individuals to perform above and beyond you know what would be considered the norm for you know yeah. someone in their situation or abilities you know even even tyranids are in here you know so while the gene stealer cults themselves have a very distinct religious you know factor to their um philosophies the tyranids themselves don't not really not, not really no but you know ultimately any splinter uh, any high fleet any individual um, bioform is contributing towards the concept of the greater hive mind and the the betterment of the the literal species <laughs> i mean the, the tyranids kind of only believe one thing uh and that is that everyone else is food. Yeah, and if they, and as such, they need to get really hungry sometimes. Yeah. <laughs> so there's there's a, I mean, there's a little. Bit we've of, all been there. Yeah, there's, there's a little bit of abstractness there to obviously accommodate all the factions. Yeah. I mean, interestingly, in the case of chaos, um, they're listed by God. So, for example, there isn't a faction dedicated for chaos spacemans. Instead, there's one for hmm. corn. Nurgle, Zinch, Slanesh. Um, Interesting. So, if you know, obviously, your world eaters are going to follow the the dark Thurvis faith because that's the one associated with corn. But your Alpha Legion, depending depending on what your narrative of your crusade is, could sort of follow either the faith that's dictated for Nurgle or the one that's dictated for Zinch. I mean, I think going by the the list you've got here in the show notes. Alpha Legion are a timeless trickery all the way, aren't they? <laughs> I suppose, depending on the narrative of your own forces, you don't have to be so strict for uh, to be 
what the suggestions are in here. So, for example, um, Adeptus Astartes are listed under the purity of dedication faith. But I could see a completely understandable argument for an Iron Hands Crusade force to use the Machina Eternal faith. Okay. So you're not strictly uh, like locked into one based um, on what it tells you. I mean, it literally says here under the little listings, it says, we recommend using the Machina Eternal Faith for the factions right. shown above. Um, recommended faiths. We recommend the following faiths for the respective factions. It's listed as recommendations. Okay. That makes sense. I mean, like I say, I would agree that most of these make sense, you know, for the categories they've assigned them, but when you get into the nature of things like um some factions you know yeah then there's more um choices to be made and decisions to make yeah but for the sake of argument tonight we'll um, we'll have a look at what we respectively would gain for the adnec and the orcs um, okay so, you know, that's who we've got on the show tonight yeah so I, I think i think at this stage we've we've basically mentioned all of the five options right uh Yes, I think we have. Yeah, so there's five overarching cool. categories that then all the factions in the game sort of drop into, and you can see yep. themes within those uh, categories of faith as to what they do. So, for example, in Machina Returner, at belief level yep. one, um, you have the option of selecting repair spirits for the ability that all your idols would gain for that okay. battle round. And this is, at the start of your command phase, each vehicle and core model from your army that is within divinity range, which is basically the variable aura range from the idol. Right. Typically, most games, it's like a six-inch aura, but depending on missions and circumstances, it can increase or decrease throughout the game. Okay. But divinity range is the aura range from any single idol. So, each vehicle and core model from your army within divinity range of any of your idols regains one lost wound. That's nice. So basically, living metal. Yeah. Which means, obviously, Necron models <laughs> within the idol yep. range of that are going to regain two at the start. Or uh, possibly, if they're in the certain the correct command protocol, three. Quite possibly. <laughs> <laughs> Um, and compare that against the equivalent for orcs who would use the dark fervor uh, faith, which is basically war for war's sake. You know, yep. you've got in, you've got the likes of corn orcs, drukari, chaos knights. You know, yeah, war and death because war and death. <laughs> you know that sort of philosophies. Uh, so their level one belief ability is vicious zealotry. So this is each time you use the cut them down stratagem, so the one where when an enemy unit falls back from you, you can attempt yep. to um, deal mortal wounds to them yeah. by uh, rolling a dice for every model in your unit that they're falling back from. Uh, each time you use the cut them down stratagem, if the enemy unit is falling back from a unit from your army that is within divinity range of an idol... Um, that mm -hmm. enemy unit suffers one mortal wound for each dice result of a four plus instead of a six plus. Well, that's tasty. Yeah. <laughs> Cut them down on four plus. Mm. Um, you know, 
you're not going to be backing away from my mob of orc boys now, are you? So I might actually use it. Yeah. <laughs> um, and then as we go up and down the scale, um, we have different abilities. So, uh, belief level two for uh, dark fervor, blood offering. At the end of any phase, if any enemy unit that started the phase within divinity range of any of your idols has been destroyed, you gain one command point. And you cannot gain more than one command point per battle round for this ability. The Machiner Eternal equivalent for belief level 2, Focus Determination. Each time you spend a command point to use the command reroll stratagem, if the roll being rerolled is made for a unit within divinity range of any of your idols, you can roll 1d6 and on a 4 plus, that command point is refunded. Nice. So you can already see all these um, stipulations here that basically are if the unit that's going to be the benefit or the enemy yep. that's going to be the target is within divinity the range thing. of your idol, do the thing, gain the benefit. Yeah. So, yeah. So when these are going to be dotted about the battlefield, there's going to be a real distinct feeling of being in the enemy territory and then being in yours. Yeah. Like, can you can you see how that would sort of play out? Yeah. Uh, so and and again, so at belief level two, you have two of these abilities, and you pick which one is in effect. Yes. So they're not cumulative. You only ever have yep. one of them in effect. The higher your belief level, the more options you have in your games to pick each battle round cool. which one it to be. So obviously, in game one of your War of Faith, you're always just going to have your belief level one in effect all game. Yeah. But as soon as you have belief level two, you've got an option you could pick between every battle round. And by the time nice. you have belief level five, you've got five options you can pick between. Cool. Yeah, so uh, Machine Returnal, belief level three, Machine Guidance. In your command phase, select one unit from your army within divinity range of this idol. Until the start of your next command phase, each time a model in that unit makes an attack on an unmodified wound roll of a six, improve the armor pen of that attack by one. Uh, yeah, all is good. Yep, improved AP on sixes. Um, your dark fervor for orcs equivalent, culling of blades. Uh, while a unit from your army is within divinity range of this idol, each time a model in that unit makes a piling or consolidation move, it can move up to an additional two inches to a maximum of five inches. Yeah, it's good. So you can see how they, they tend to be getting better um, as you get into higher levels. It's not that strictly you'll always necessarily use the high level ones but they tend to be more noticeably impactful i suppose yeah but they're um, all situational yeah um belief level four for machine eternal while the vehicle unit from your armies of divinity range is idle that unit gains obsec if a model in that unit already had this it counts as one additional model when determining control of an objective marker so. very nice Obsec vehicles. Mm -hmm. um, now, number four, belief level for dark fervor, deaf missionaries. Okay. Uh, basically, impact hits. In your command phase, select one unit from your army within divinity range of this idol until the start of your next command phase. Each time that unit finishes a charge move, select one enemy unit within engagement range of that unit. Roll one dice for each model in your unit, and on a five plus, that enemy unit suffers one mortal wound. charge in and just run them over classic um and then finally fifth level uh belief for machina eternal spiritual consciousness 
In your command phase, select one vehicle or core unit from your army within divinity range of this idol. Until the start of your next command phase, each time a model in that unit makes a ranged attack, you can re-roll the hit roll. Uh, that's spicy. Mm-hmm. And obviously, so certain ones like this, this is you pick a unit or vehicle from your army within range of this yeah. idol. Now, obviously, a battle might have three or four idols on it. Oh. So, although each one only gets to give its bonus out to one of the units in range of it, there will be several idols in, you know, strike force and upwards. Yeah. Regions. So, you're going to be able to hand out a good number of these buffs, assuming that you have control of the battlefield. Yes. So still, the idea of you know being near and holding your idols is important. Um, equally, your fifth level of belief for dark fervor, brutal death throws. Um, while a unit from your army is within divinity range of this idol, excluding vehicle units, each time a model in that unit is destroyed as a result of a melee attack. After the attacking unit has finished making their attacks, roll one d six, and on a six, the attacking unit suffers one mortal wound. Cool. So that one noticeably is all units within the aura range. Yeah. And it doesn't have the caveat of so long as this model hasn't yet fought. Oh. Because it's um it's not your fighting, it's just you might inflict some more wounds on death, but then you can yeah. do that in addition to actually fighting. <laughs> yeah. Assuming it's, uh, they, you know, they get to fight before they get killed. It's an explosion equivalent, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um so yeah, that's that's the concept of the bonuses that these idols themselves will be giving out. Okay. Then, there's one other sort of component to these faiths. Right. So again, that sounds like a lot that we've gone over so far, but really, all that equates to is, at the start of each battle round, you pick an ability that you currently have access to, and all your idols gain that. Yep. So, you know, like they say, at the start of a War of Faith Crusade, it's not, what, it's not difficult to basically know that every model within range of an idol gains one wound if it's wounded you know yeah that's the extent of the benefit of the idols and then as your crusades go on it'll get a bit more more depth as opposed to complexity because it doesn't really get more complex you just get more options yeah but the second part of all this is um that faith's paragon ability and basically these are bonus abilities that characters from your faith will gain it doesn't mean all characters like certain ones um, will gain the paragon ability for the game you know and it represents those you know focal points of faith you know it's it's the emperor's champion or it's yeah the, um the chaos sorcerer or chaos lord or the greater possessed or whatever you know the the individuals who are the focal points and represent the ideals of what it is to be a paragon of that faith okay so, in the case of uh, Machina Eternal, if you have a character who gains the Paragon ability for that faith, once per battle round, when a saving throw is failed for this model, it can choose to use this Paragon ability. If it does so, the damage characteristic of that attack is reduced to zero. Nice. Once per battle round. Yes. That is. <laughs> it's quite a lot of being alive when you could be dead mm -hmm. and that, that is the iron will paragon mm. ability for the machina eterna whereas my orky equivalent for dark fervor is paragon ability avatar ferocity basically exploding sixes in melee nice 
which you know bearing in mind again this is for like corn orcs drukari even chaos knights you know exploding sixes immediately yes yeah. please and typically most games in this mission pack allow players at the start of the battle to pick one character model from their army to become a paragon for that game okay there are some other variations on that and other ways to gain the paragon keyword which then gives you the ability but typically again like out the door one character per game per player and i'm like guessing most of the time it's just going to be your warlord isn't it i mean probably for most people's choices it doesn't have to be there's no, no. stipulation other than a character model yeah but i imagine most people like for me yeah my mega Man war boss is going to have exploding sixes in melee certainly with like a, a young crusade force starting out with small games you don't have very many characters to choose from and you've probably got one that's got a bunch of uh, like a, a wall of trait and a relic already so you might as well give yeah. that one the extra thing as well so yeah so like for me playing orcs at the start of a war of faith all i have to think about is that if you're if enemy units are in range of my idols i can use that stratagem to do mortal wounds of the four plus round sixes and my yep. war boss has exploding sixes in melee yep that's it it's not actually that complicated it's just that as you progress you'll get more options and more depth and more things to do with it but in actually on the table when you're playing the game not that complicated cool and then the last little just wrinkle is that um every particular faith has a one or more anathema faiths which are basically the ones that are diametrically opposed in their ideologies and who absolutely hate each other <laughs> right um and if you uh, they're listed in here uh, so for example the um the, anath uh, the anathema faiths to dark fervor are divine purity uh, uh, sorry divine piety and purity of dedication basically the, okay. the goody two shoes ones <laughs> yeah um whereas machine or eternal the an anathema face for that uh, the anathema faith for that is timeless trickery oh because the machine does not like tricksy warp stuff basically no um so yeah, and, and if you're playing against an opponent whose force is from the anathema faith, you count your belief level as being one higher than it is. Right. So if you happened to be playing against someone using um, Timeless Trickery, you'd count as being belief level 2 for your first game. Which again, just means you have cool. an option of what idle bonus to pick. Yeah. That's nice. So yeah, and, and, and that's just two of the trees. There's five trees in here, so all factions are represented and they do lots of cool things. Now, that was a lot of words to basically it explain was. that idols give you some buffs and your characters get a buff. Yeah. Okay. Does that make sense? Uh, yeah. But does it also feel quite flavorful? Yeah. Mm -hmm. I mean, I like that there's... Um... Like you pick which one your your crusade belongs to, and then you get bonuses against the the opposite. Yes, um, that is a cool little little twist. And if we go off the narrative that it's not necessarily a, like an actual uh, religious system, it, it's just a like a thing that's happening around them. Uh, it makes you know as much sense as anything else in forty k, doesn't it? <laughs> yeah. 
like you say, it, it's more about being particular fervent advocates of whatever philosophy, yeah. belief, or religion that you follow. You know, um, for example, the Aldari are listed in here under Timeless Trickery. Now, that might be because they're particularly fervent devotees of Kegarak, you know, so they could be Harlequins who are really close to his teachings or whatever, or... Um, and so they have perhaps more secret knowledge than other Harlequin troops. Or it could be that it's... Um, like, Sonesh is also listed on this list, so it could be <laughs> particularly extravagant, you know, followers or extremists of a particular creed or vice or whatever that, yeah. you know, they're, they're that invested in greed that actually it does manifest as being bloated in form, you know, because they are just these epitomes of greed and they're harder to harm because they believe they, they can't be killed or whatever, you know? Yeah. Stuff like that. It's, it's like you say, it's 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 warp shenanigans in 40k. Yeah. Right, so actually playing games using Wars of Faith. I think we've right, covered yes. um a number of the sort of key points, but we'll just run through the, the sort of keynotes I've written down here. Uh, so all missions in this mission packs, all of them, all twenty-four, involve the use of idols. Um, there'll be X number of them depending on the scale of mission and some will be in the deployment zone, some will be in no man's land. Some of them will even start that close together. They have like overlapping fields of divinity. Okay, yeah. We mentioned that idols are not technically objective markers and a lot of missions use both objective markers and idols, like two separate things. Uh, in some missions, Objective markers can become idols when players perform a certain action on them to basically construct an idol there. So in a similar way to like raising a banner. Right. Does that make sense with like, you know, raising the banners sort of equivalent? You're constructing an idol yeah. on an objective marker, then it gains all the benefits of an idol for as long as it has its idol built there, which could be torn down again by the opponent you know, later in the game. Yeah. All idols have a divinity range. This is typically stated as to what it is in the mission brief, but certain missions can cause it to increase or decrease over time based on, again, actions or other objectives in the game. Um, and at the start of the battle round, you, you pick from your options, I believe. All missions do involve the use of paragons. So a paragon is a character from your army that you give the keyword and it gains its associated faith paragon ability for the game. And in the case of Crusade, obviously, it's just for that game. They don't gain it indefinitely then, you know, for future. Um, Got it. Kind of is. There is yeah. a requisition in here that you can use to permanently upgrade a character to have the Paragon keyword, at which point they would then permanently maintain their um, faith ability. That's nice. Um, but as standard, it's just for the game. Okay. Each mission specifies how many paragons each player get. Most of them is typically just one each. Some of the onslaught missions let you have like two each, stuff like that, you know. Mm -hmm. um, and then finally, paragons also have access to a unique action that only they can perform. But basically, it's an action they perform on a nearby friendly idol. And what they can do is they can allow that idol to gain a second ability from your list of belief abilities until the start of the next battle round or your next command phase, whichever it is. Okay. So they can basically, as a paragon of the faith, they can imbue the idol with a secondary ability. Cool. But that's the only way idols could have more than one of the belief abilities at any one right. time. And it's only a single idol, you know, whichever one 
yeah. characters opted to perform their action on. And obviously, having a character perform an action in itself is a bit of a sacrifice because they yeah. use their use their aura abilities. They are busy doing the actions and so on. I, th- I think it's um, let me read it exactly, but I think you start it at the start of the movement phase and it completes at the end of the movement phase. So basically, you fall. Oh, that's quite challenging then. I think it's basically you forfeit moving. Yeah, because you've got to be there already. Yeah. Uh, make offering action. One or more Paragon units from your army can start to perform this action at the start of your command phase. Each yeah. unit from your army that starts to perform this action must be one of the range of a different one of your idols. This action is completed at the end of your next movement phase. If it's successfully completed, select one of the abilities that your idol has access to and which that idol does not currently have. Until the start of your next command phase, that idol gains that ability in addition to the one it currently has. Yeah, so yeah. It's, it's a bit like demon summoning. Um, it's basically you forfeit your movement phase in order to yeah. do the thing. In this case, grant an extra ability for that particular idol. So, I mean, it's quite a sacrifice and quite hard to set up, but I imagine that could be very powerful. Yeah, if you're going to be doubling up on some of those abilities that we mentioned earlier. Yeah, especially if you've got access to the higher ranking ones. Yeah, and I mean that character does get to perform normally in their shoot phase, psychic phase, and combat phase. Charge phase, yeah. Yeah, and charge phase, yeah. And then the other sort of last note is that um, all these missions, they have the usual sort of victor bonuses associated with Crusade, you know, extra battle traits or requisition or max greatness. But also, all of them reward a victory bonus of X many bonus belief points. Okay. And there are margins of success for that. So there's usually two states. They'll be like, you know, if you won by this, you gain one belief point. If you won by a lot, by other condition, you gain D3 instead. Right. So there's actually an incentive for margin of victory. Yeah. Hmm. Um. So yeah, that's... That's everything in terms of how the belief system itself works. Again, a lot of words explaining lots of things, but actually in practice, I think it will play out quite simply and quite straightforward on the tabletop. Yeah. I mean, that's just a whole load of parameters that they can build missions around, right? Exactly. And as you'll see when we get to our missions shortly, they do a lot of fun things with those. Cool. Now, as for the extra bits of crusade things <laughs> that exist in the yep. standard crusade yep. systems, we have some requisitions and agendas. So okay. there's five new requisitions. Um, one of them I've already mentioned is the um, one requisition point. You basically give a character the Paragon keyword indefinitely. Um, couple conditions. One, you have to have your crusade force be at belief level five. So the top level. Okay. In order to be able to endow, obviously, your force with a Paragon of that faith. Right. Um, and additionally, um, when you give the character the Paragon ability, your Crusade Force um, then loses 15 belief points. Because basically you've now invested, you know, um, your faith's yeah. resources in elevating this individual to be a Paragon. So that gives them that keyword and that ability. Um so does that apply if you're playing a mission that isn't one of these uh, Wars of Faith missions? You still have that? Or is it only for this? I believe the intention is you would keep it for any game of Crusade. 
So the wording here, you select one character model from your order of battle, um, excluding Paragon models, I, and you've already done this on. Yeah, yeah. Um, that model Double gain, Paragon. That model gains the Paragon keyword, your faith's Paragon ability, and its Crusade points total is increased by one. Yeah, so that would, which says would definitely me, apply yeah. elsewhere, wouldn't it? You're getting a crusade point value increase because you gain the permanent yeah. ability. Okay, that's cool. I like that. I, I like all the things that transfer to sort of other campaigns or other mm. games. So you're um, not like locked into playing this this book forever, as it were. Yeah. So I mean, that given that you know you need 15 belief points and top level yeah. belief level is kind of the end game of a, a, a short term campaign. You know, like elevating one of your characters to be now a paragon of that faith. Yeah. Uh, particularly appropriate for anything like Sisters of Battle. You know, you could imagine gaining, you know, like saintly abilities over time. I mean, I think that is actually the very nature of their crusade rules. <laughs> but know, right? This is sort of like another way of, you know, building those living saint concepts into your force. You could put it on. A space marine with a banner, right? <laughs> In a certain war of uh, army of faith formation. Yeah, if you want to stack all of these things together, and then when he inevitably gets beaten up a lot, turn him into a dreadnought. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> paragon dreadnought with a big fancy tattered banner. Uh, that would be cool. Well. What is cool is um, some of these other acquisitions that basically play around with um, trading resources or conditions to either gain belief points or XP, and they're sort of faction locked to various faiths. So, okay. for example, uh, these are all one requisition, and one of them is Blood Sacrifice. Purchase this requisition at any time if your Crusade Force has the Dark Fervor or Timeless Trickery faith. Select one infantry, cavalry, or biker unit from your order of battle. That unit gains D3 battle scars, <laughs> and, okay. your, and your crusade force gains 3D3 belief points. Ooh, <laughs> that's fun. Right? <laughs> I mean, uh, like, sure, sacrificial cultists. <laughs> I mean, what's funny is I believe um, free battle scars is the requirement for dreadnought stasis. <laughs> <laughs> so you could blood Amazing. sacrifice your infantry captain for D3 battle scars <laughs> to gain belief and turn him into a holy dreadnought. Yeah. But only if you're a dark fervor faith. Uh, or timeless trickery. Oh yeah, I suppose. So, Hellbrutes? You, I mean, <laughs> whatever. You could um, just be a very naughty space marine chapter. I mean, I could see dark fervor applying to flesh terrors. Yep. Um, sure that won't annoy anyone <laughs> oh please forgive me flesh terrors players I love you really <laughs> um, then you've got examples of like uh, thief of favour one requisition point purchase his requisition at any time if your crusade force has the dark fervour or timeless trickery faith <laughs> and has at least three belief points which is basically probably a game's worth of a victory you know sure select one character unit from your order of battle your Crusade Force loses D3 belief points, but that unit gains 2D3 experience points. So, oh, cool. You know, that that's the uh, um, 
the power hungry, you know, like person uh, taking the gains for the, all for themselves rather than for the uh, the benefit of the men under their command. Nice. Um, but then you've got like um, healing force, which is one that's tied to machine returner, purity of dedication, and divine piety faiths, which is basically um, you pick a unit, you that unit loses all its battle scars, but your force loses two d three belief points. So you're healing through faith. Yep. Uh, and then finally, exemplar of faith, which is tied to. Machine Returner, Purity of Dedication, and Divine Piety. Yeah, so you pick one of your units from your army that had the Paragon keyword during that battle. Okay. Um, and uh, that gained a rank. Right. Like, like a, a Crusade rank. So if you've got your Paragon basically leveling up as a result of the game that you played, and it could have been yeah. a temporary Paragon provided by the mission. Yeah. Um. For one requisition point, you gain two d three belief points because ba basically, heroic person did something heroic and it was inspiring. Yeah, can't argue with that. So yeah, like I say, requisition for XP or belief points or vice versa or battle scars or stuff. Lot lots of ways to trade resources for other resources. Yeah. Um, and then we have our list of agendas so there's some of the usual suspects in there things like you know titan hunter call the hordes reaper deploy vox reavers survivor sentinel all the sort of usual mainstays of crusade agendas plus okay. some of these various ones that are tied to gaining um belief points i've got a couple of examples one from each category for you so um from purge the enemy we've got chosen ones Keep a Chosen Ones tally for each Paragon unit from your army. Add one to its tally each time it destroys an enemy unit. Each unit gains two experience points for every mark on its tally. And then if, at the end of the game, the combined total of all your Chosen Ones tallies um, is two, um, your Crusade Force gains one belief point, and if it's three or more, they gain two belief points. So have your Paragons kill things. Yeah. And they gain XP, you gain belief points. Monthly. Equally, from No Mercy, No Respite, we've got False Deity, which is basically um, destroy. keep a False Deity tally for each unit from your army. Each time an enemy unit is destroyed by a unit from your army during a phase, if that enemy unit had started that phase within divinity range of any of your opponent's idols, add one to the tally. Um, each unit gains 1 XP for each tally point, and if you've got X amount of tally points at the end, you gain 1 or 2 belief points, so kill the enemy by their idols. Yeah. Uh, psychic Interference from Warpcraft, which is basically a psychic action that you target an enemy paragon within um, range of one of their idols, I believe it is. Okay. Um... Oh no, there's two different um, psychic actions. One that targets an enemy paragon and one which targets an enemy idol that you're within 12 inches of. Okay. And again, based on how many times you complete the action, that unit either get, gains X amount of XP right, yeah. and you gain X amount of belief points. Yeah. Uh, supplant ideology from Shadow Operations. This is a Shadow Operation agenda where basically you construct an idol in the opponent's deployment zone. Okay. <laughs> And um, you can only have one constructed idol any one time, but um, multiple units can attempt to build multiple over the game, you know, if it gets torn down by the enemy. 
Okay. Um, and at the end of the battle, each unit that constructed an idol gains three experience points. And if you have a constructed idol on the battlefield at the end of the game, you gain three belief points. Does that make sense? Yep. Yeah. Uh, quite a few belief points then. Yes. And the key thing here as well is that obviously during the game, that constructed idol behaves as an idol. That's, uh, that's quite handy. Yeah, so you're able to set up, you know, an area that you want whatever benefit or a bonus you're going to be getting passively from your idols in that extra location in the opponent's deployment zone. Hmm. Uh, and then finally, um, from Battlefield Supremacy, you've got where they are strongest. Um, at the end of the battle, select up to three units from your army, excluding aircraft that are wholly within six inches of any of your opponent's idols. Each of those units earns two experience points. And if there are more units from your army wholly within six inches of your opponent's idols than the enemy units, your crusade force gains three belief points. So basically, go capture cool. the enemy idols. Yeah. Basically, they are objectives now. Yeah, very much so. Now, I feel like I've said finally several times already, but finally, the last thing before we actually go through our example missions. Finally. There is a table of battle traits in here for priest units. Okay. Uh, yeah, there's a few of them now. Yeah, uh, you know, many uh, battle traits, um, whatever, you know, whatever mission pack you're using usually has something in there. So, again, I won't go for any specifics, but basically, there's a D6 table of bonuses that all sort of tie to priestly things, i.e., increase aura ranges, make you better at passing your invoking. Um, roll the ability to invoke an additional one of the cool. invocations. I think one of them's deny the witch like a psyker if you like cool. a psyker, stuff like that. So if you like your priests, so yeah. your chaplains, your Torum priests, even your Tower Ethereals these days. Oh well, yeah, I think they might be. Yeah, I think they have the priest keyword and they're introducing cool. the invocation mechanic to a lot. Yeah, of there's quite a lot of them in the game now, isn't there? Well, there's um, now a battle trait table for them, yeah. which again, um, I don't think specifically. Well, so it says in here when a priest unit gains a battle trait as part after playing a Wars of Faith battle, you can do X, Y, Z. But I honestly don't mind just thinking of it as an accessible table to priests. Yeah, you know. Um, I mean, if you got the book anyway, then you could roll on it, couldn't you? Yeah, if you don't want to roll anything from a racial table or otherwise another category, yeah. it's just there and it's going to be useful. I mean, psychic um, fortitudes are a thing for psychers. Yeah, it only mirrors time. that. Yeah. So, if you want priest upgrades, there's one in this mission pack. But yeah, a table. Cool. So then, Dan. Yes. After hearing the many different things that were involved in the War of Faith campaign system, or the crusade even, that's what I'm looking for. Let's see if it all comes together when I explain a couple of these actual mission examples to you. And okay. So you envision how it's going to play out on the table. Yes. So there's 24 new missions. Um, how many would you like to look at? Uh, four of them, because as we typically do in these episodes, we're going to look at one per scale of game. Cool. So we will start with combat patrol missions, which you mentioned earlier you've been playing more of. So Yep, played a couple of them. 
the first mission we're looking at is Martyrs Reborn. So this is a combat patrol mission. Okay. It's sort of pretty standard, you know, small game, 40k game, because it is short table edge deployments, 24 inch no man's land, four objective markers. Right? Yep. A square pattern layout of four objective markers in no man's land. Cool. Yep. Then... There are also two idols, one per player. Each idol is nine inches back from the center point, which basically puts them just outside the long edges of the sort of square of the objective markers. Okay. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Each of these idols has a nine-inch divinity range, which means that basically each idol is just on its uh, periphery going to be reaching the two corner yeah. objective markers that are close to it. And, and also just touching in the middle just touching in the middle and reaching back into the player's deployment zone so more or less covering like that half of the table yeah then additionally each player gains uh, one paragon for this game so pick a character each they gain a a faction ability yep scoring is straightforward 40k (laughs) on 9 fed anyway where it's 5 points per holding objectives for control one or more, control two or more, control more than the opponent. Yeah. Does that all make sense? It all makes sense so far. Yeah, so it's actually pretty standard, you know, short table edges, four objectives, hold more than the opponent, but the added narrative and added wrinkle that is War of Faith is the fact there are these two idols giving out overlapping aura buffs to both forces, and each player also gains a heroic paragon character with an extra ability in each. Yeah. Oh. Which could be quite a big deal in a in a little game like that. It could. But do you know what else could be a very big deal in a little game like that? I don't know. Please tell me. It is the Martyrs Reborn special rule for this mission. Ooh. So, there's a bonus action available to players in, the, in this mission. So, an infantry unit that is within one inch of their idol can perform this action to return a destroyed unit to the battlefield at full wounds within six inches of their idol. Uh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> so this is um, one infantry unit from your army can start to perform this action at the end of your movement phase if it's one inch of your idol and no units from your army have successfully completed this action this game. So you can only complete this action once per game. Right. The action is completed at the end of the turn. If it's successfully completed, select one destroyed unit from your army, excluding vehicles, and return it to the battlefield with all its models and all at their full wounds within six inches of the idol. Hence the Martyrs Reborn. Yep. Right? Well, that's cool. But here's the wrinkle. Oh. There is another um, progressive victory point scoring mechanic in this mission this is called the price of life at the end of each battle round if in that battle round a player's opponent returned a unit to the battlefield using the martyrs reborn action that player scores a number of victory points equal to the power rating of the unit their opponent returned okay so if you return a high power level unit you're giving up a lot of victory Ooh. points to your opponent if yeah um like so typically a character 
uh, usually anywhere between four to eight power level, I think, for most armies characters. When that yeah, turns in, like yeah, when that turns into victory points, I'll bring back my mega armored war boss. Oh, but you're going to gain six victory points if I do that. Oof. Uh, if I return a unit of thirty orc boys, that's twelve victory points. Now, granted, I've returned thirty orc boys to the battlefield in a combat patrol mission. Yeah. But I've given you 12 victory points by doing so. Yeah. And, I mean, it uh, It could be enough. It could. It could also have just been not enough, and then the opponent wins because of your choice of returned unit. Yeah. And they That's can do very the same, interesting. Which means that if they choose to do the same, then there's a balance off between the power rated difference between the returned units. Yeah. Like, how cool is that? Like, you get a, a reanimation mechanic, but it comes at a cost. Now, again, it's Crusade. Maybe you're at that point where you don't care about winning the game, you care about the experience. Yeah, maybe. And maybe returning the unit is going to let you do some stuff with it to earn XP. But or, you know you're going to forfeit the match, as it were. You're going to forfeit the game. I mean, I don't know if it's in the rules anywhere, but how does that affect battle scars <laughs> like they're all they're alive at the end of the game potentially when they might have been dead so i would you could be saving your unit from rolling up for battle scar couldn't you yeah i, mean, I think that it is covered in the rare rules um because of stuff like tide of traitors green tide from eight art codex and uh Arc yeah maybe and stuff like that i think there is stuff that states basically from a crusade point of view it's considered to be the same unit i think so like if it's alive at the end of the game you don't roll the counter action roll yeah um but yeah like how cool is that that's you you're pretty standard mm. four objectives hold some hold more game of 40k but you've got heroes with paragon abilities you've got idols with magical faith-like abilities and you've got the reanimation of the dead thrown in there as well there's a lot going on there, isn't there? But as it plays out, I don't think it's actually too much because you've only got that one aura each, which is just passively there. You know that all game. You've got your one character. It's not hard for me to remember my warboss as exploding sixes. No. You know, extra bonus. And then the key linchpin of that mission is do I, don't I on the reanimation? And if I do, what do I pick? Like, that's yeah. the narrative twist of that game. Yeah. It's it's quite a small game as well, so it's not like you're going to be overwhelmed. Yeah. So, let's scale it up a little bit. We'll look at our incursion mission example. Okay. So this is Eternal Desecration on page 50. Ooh. I definitely got the right page this time. Yep. Uh, not that you would ever get that wrong. No, I'd never get it wrong. I'm so prepared, obviously. Cool. I wouldn't have to totally re-record a combat patrol mission that we discussed previously because we got it yep. the wrong page and mixed our missions up. Nope. This joke's <laughs> no. just for us. No, just for us. No, no, no one else understands this reference. <laughs> right. Eternal desecration. Yeah. So this is an example of a mission that does not have any objective markers. Instead, you play around with the idols as being the focus of the key to victory. Okay. So this is standard Dawn of War-ish deployment. So long table edges with an 18-inch no man's land. Okay. There are four idols, two per player. 
Both of them are in no man's land, but only just, because they're only just three inches in front of your deployment line. Right. And uh, they're slightly staggered across the table, so um, if you're looking at your deployment zone, um, you have one that's basically, it's sort of hard to describe, but imagine you had two centrally equidistant idols of the, you know, um, say seven inches either side of the center line right but then shunt it to the left by about four inches so it's slightly offset okay and then obviously that's mirrored on the opposite side for your opponent yeah so you've got these these two idols each they're just in front of your deployment zones but not directly opposite each other they're they are sort of offset yeah. right then idols in this mission have a nine inch divinity range like they did in the combat patrol. Sounds like that's that's kind of the standard. Yeah, nine inch divinity range is kind of the standard if it's going to be a mission where it doesn't fluctuate. Right. Actually, I say that. <laughs> Reading my notes, they do fluctuate in this one. <laughs> okay. But we'll get to that in a minute. Um, each player gets one paragon. Cool. Pick a character, give them a paragon ability. Then, the gameplay revolves around the fact that uh, both players have access to um, two actions, which are Desecrate Idol and Pious Ceremony. So basically, you know, deface the enemy idol and you know, consecrate your own. Mm -hmm. um, by performing this action, if it's Desecrate Idol on an enemy idol, you reduce its divinity range by three inches by completing the action. Okay. If you complete Pious Ceremony on a friendly idol, you increase the divinity range of your idol by doubling it. Oh. So significantly larger gains from um, the Pious Ceremony than the reduction from the Desecrate Idol. Yeah. However, there is one and only victory point condition in this game. And that is, at the end of each battle round, each player scores 50 victory points for each unit from their army that completed the desecrate idol action that round right so the only way to score in this mission is desecrating the opponent's idols okay and they're right at the back of the board well they're only um, sorry, they're only six inches from the center line okay because it's um, it's a combat patrol mission, so it's an incursion mission, so it's not. Yeah, it's still a small board, isn't it? Yeah, yeah it's still sort of like it's like your forty by forty, Bridge, or yeah, forty four okay. by forty four, or whatever. Okay, yeah. So uh, right, yeah. So so in this one, really, the entire middle of the board is covered with divinity, as it until were. they get increased or decreased. Because obviously, by doing these yeah. desecrate idle actions, we are reducing the divinity range by three inches, and um, it can be reduced to a minimum of three inch. So you can't reduce it to zero and basically turn it off. Cool. Um, and then uh, the victory bonus for the winner of this mission, you gain 5 XP for each unit that performed the, uh, the most desecrate idle actions. Um, okay. So I think if you add ones that were equal amounts, you pick which one gains 5 XP. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and um, you gain free belief points if you end the game with an idol that had a divinity range of six or more inches. So basically, by keeping your own idol left. <laughs> right. Um, and yeah, and that's that's the extent of this one. So 
it, it it's interesting how it's a 40k game that does not have objective markers yeah so no stratagems or abilities or anything else that relates to objective markers is going to come into effect because it's all about the idols and performing these actions on the idols yeah i mean for for most intents and purposes they are objective markers but they're not yes it's just a distinction worth making in ways like yeah. for the purposes of winning the game they kind of are but from rules interactions point they're not they're idols yeah they are your objectives but they are not objective markers yes that's a good way of putting it i like that <laughs> then we move up to our strike force mission example now, yep. this is a mission that's actually um more of an asymmetric one and one of the reasons why I want to highlight it is because this has a very um, uh, inbuilt narrative to it. It's basically, it's called All to Ashes because it's all about an invading force coming in and burning down, you know, the idols and religious icons of the defenders. Okay. So this is your sort of standard corner deployment where you've got that um, nine-inch bubble that's cut out of the center of the table. Does that make sense? Yep. Yep. Otherwise, you've got your table quarters to deploy in. There are zero objective markers in this mission. Okay. There are instead five idols. All of these idols belong to the defender. The attacker okay. has no idols. So the only way to get one would be if the attacker took the agenda where they could construct one in the opponent's deployment zone. Yeah. But other than that, for all intents and purposes, the attacker has no idols for this mission. Now, what the attacker does have instead is the attacker gets to pick three paragons. Yep. And the defender gets no paragons. Okay. So one player... Their benefits is all from the auras provided by the idols they control when the opponent has no aura abilities across the table. But the attacker gets three particularly buffed up characters who gain their faction ability. I mean, imagine the Machine or Eternal one. If the attacker has got three characters who every battle round can reduce one attack <laughs> to zero damage. Yeah. Like, they're going to be tanking their way across the table. Yeah, good luck with that. Yeah. But then again free orc characters who all have exploding sixes well they're just playing epic hero hammer yeah you know so an interesting dynamic now in terms of where the idols are uh three of them are basically in a diagonal line across no man's land so one dead center and one in sort of ish the middle of the two no man land table right quarters. yeah and then two of them are in the sort of front leading edges of the defender's deployment zone Okay. Yep. Um, for this mission, the idols only have a three-inch divinity range. So you kind of have to be right on them to really be benefiting from them. Yeah. And as you can imagine, the whole point of this mission is keeping those idols alive. So that's what you're going to want to be doing. Because units in the attacker's army can perform the burn the idol action, which is an action infantry and vehicle units can perform to basically destroy an idol at which point it's removed from the battlefield. And throughout the game, um, there's progressive scoring for the defender and an end game scoring for the attacker that's based on how many idols are left on the field at any given time. 
Okay. So for the defender, they score four victory points for each of their idols that is still on the battlefield, each battle round. So, okay. the def so the defender is scoring those victory points progressively. The attacker just gets an end game payout, which is at the end of the game, depending on X many idols are left standing, they score either 0, 45, 75, or 90 victory points. Okay. Predictably, they score 90 if there are no idols <laughs> yeah. left on the battlefield. And then, depending on if they don't destroy any, they get 0, and then depending if there's between 1 to 4 remaining, they get either 45 or 75. So it's all about the defender defending those objectives throughout the game, not just have I got one left at the end, because then yeah. they'd only have like 12, 16 victory points. You know, it, they have to be on it and trying to defend them all to the last. Yeah. The attacker just needs to force through the destruction of them all by the end of the game. Cool. So again, that to me, that has a story that is clearly happening on the table. I mean, we haven't yeah. mentioned it yet, but I suppose it goes without saying that idols are perfect modeling opportunities. Yeah, definitely. Um, it reminds me of uh, sort of I don't know, don't know if you remember back in the um, like Cities of Death uh, supplements. Yes. When they had the little uh, had to make the little markers for all the different um, kind of stratagems you could apply to yeah. your buildings and stuff. It was an ammo dump or a medical bay or yeah. a command center, and you created objective markers that looked appropriate to those things. Yeah, and like this, I mean, my go-to straight away is the Age of Sigma Endless Spells. If there's anything that's got okay. crossover, particularly for things like the Chaos fo uh, Factions, um, Orcs, I'm sure some of the Elven ones could probably work for Aldari, stuff like that. Like, some of these endless spell things look great as like idols you know the the big mm. burning chaos skull that's breathing fire on the ground or um, the zinchian book that's full of eyes and flames you know stuff like that those look great for those particular factions as modeled idol markers i mean yeah that'd do it yeah right so you play this game you've got your five uh, fancy Markers. I mean, I was thinking even just Imperial statues work for the Imperium. You know yeah. what I mean? Just that statue of Saint Celestine would be perfect. You know, so would the you know, the Space Marine statues or whatever. You're just you're playing a game where you've got these significant idols. You've got an attacker who's just hell bent on tearing them down, and a defender who's doing everything they can to fight and defend these icons. Like it's playing from a mechanics point of view, like a 40k game. You're scoring progressive points, you're scoring endgame points, you're doing actions, but it's got such a natural story and a natural narrative that's just built into it. Yeah. It's a very good example of a mission that's uh, like, you know, the mission itself, it, it's obvious. You don't need the objectives to tell you how yeah. to win. I mean, like, Another sort of example of that is this last mission we're going to talk about, which is the Onslaught mission. Now, okay. as with any large spectacle game, there's usually some sort of visual cue that acts as the centre point of what the armies are fighting over, whether it's a bridge or a building or a giant plasma gun. <laughs> <laughs> or, 
you know, anything. Like, there's usually something, you know. You play on that table at Warhammer World that has a dried riverbed on it, and you know people are going to be fighting you over the bridge. Yeah. You play on the table that's got the downed Warlord Titan, you know people are going to be fighting you over the Warlord Titan. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, River of Power is basically your psychic ritual, you know, style scenario where there are nodes of warp energy and warp power um, and the armies are fighting for control of them. Okay. So this is a onslaught mission. So this is on a big table. These are typically your 8 by 4 foot tables. Um, it's yeah. long table edges, which means very long deployment zones. Yes, very long table edges. Yeah. Um, 18 inch no man's land um, in between there are six objective markers uh, spread evenly well not evenly but spread equidistantly I suppose is the term mm -hmm. um, across the length of the table like down the no man's land so yeah so from the centre point working out um, the three sets of objective markers in each direction are respectively 8, 22 and 36 inches from the centre Nice. Yeah. And all six of these are labelled objective markers A, B, C, D, E, and F. Okay. Right. So now this is a mission where we've got six objective markers and zero yep. idols. Okay. Or at least initially so. Because <laughs> both armies, any obsec units they have, can perform an action to raise an idol on an objective marker. Right. So, you know, it's the whole plant the flag, make this ours. You're claiming that node of energy in the, the warp rifts, you know. And you're creating an idol, you're imbuing it with your faction's divine abilities. And when an idol has been raised on one of these objective markers, it has a six inch divinity range. All makes sense so far? Yep. Yep. Um, so then at that point, you would start gaining your faction abilities from those idols now that they're up and running yeah in addition it's an onslaught game so both players get three paragons each <laughs> okay which considering you're playing you know three thousand points probably minimum then you know that's like one character per thousand points so yeah it's, it's not, not... It, it's gonna feel like an even spread as opposed to a, a bucket load <laughs> okay then uh, special rule bonus for this mission metaphysical might psychers from both forces get plus x two psychic tests where x is the number of objective markers they currently control with idols raised on them okay to a maximum of plus three cool so again once you've tapped into that particular part of the flow of power you know the river of warp energy mm. rifts in reality can start harnessing it. I think that that uh, backs up my uh, assertion that this is uh, warp shenanigans. Great rift, great rift, warp shenanigans. Yeah, this is, yeah. basically this mission should be called minor rift as opposed to great rift. <laughs> it's situated rift. on yeah, situated on this battlefield, but this is a rift running you know between the two armies. Nice. And it's battling for control of it and the power that is flowing from it. And to represent that players score in this mission by holding these objectives they score you know um five per um 
command phase for holding two or more and holding more than the opponent. Okay. Then, additionally, players uh, will also score for having one or more objective markers with their idol raised on it, two or more objective markers with their idols raised on it, and then, interestingly, scoring for having the longest uninterrupted line of objective markers with their <laughs> idols on it. So if you controlled the objectives A, B, and C, you would have an uninterrupted line of three objective markers. Cool. If you controlled A, B, and D, you would have an uninterrupted line of two. Yeah. Markers. And whichever side has the longest uninterrupted line of the river of power scores the extra you know, five nice. points with that objective that round. Cool. Bonus points for the longest road. Yeah. And then there are victory bonuses for extra requisition and extra belief points depending on how many idols you had raised and how many were in an interrupted line. That's cool. So yeah, again, just imagine that as a game. You know, you've got your Thousand Sons versus your Grey Knights fighting over the rift in the warp and yeah. um, there's these six objective markers that they're fighting for controlling the, the largest uh, flow of river of power as the tides turn and idols are being raised to the emperor and to chaos in turn and you're using your you know your endless spells or custom markers for these things you know just it, it creates spectacle within itself i think it it sounds like a, a climactic end to a like a campaign or a or, or like an individual bit of narrative like it sounds like you're fighting over a, a rift that could tear a planet apart or something yeah uh, maybe that's what you think yeah like you say if, if your alliance ends up controlling four out of the six by the end of the game they've got the majority and that's enough to you know be the death knell for this planet because they have yeah. they're going to tear it asunder now that the ritual has become too powerful and cannot be stopped yeah but they got their power so they're happy yeah and yeah that's and that's all the examples from the mission pack directly that I want to cover tonight. And I just wanted to give my sort of like last summarized sort of thoughts on it uh, and how I feel this one sort of fit, this mission pack fits in compared to some of the others. Yeah. So it's like in summary, I think that this mission pack is great all around. I think it represents some of like the best self contained narrative play experiences so far available in 9th edition 40k. I really do. It just it all accumulates in so much cool stuff that has baked in narrative to it without just being a mission that then you have to kind of create the narrative reasons for why you're playing it with your forces in your campaign or adding theatres of war, you know, to create that environment that tells the story. I don't even think you necessarily need the theatres of war with these. That's extra layers of complication that might be getting into the realms of too much. Yeah. But you could do if you're a you know a crazy man like me. And just I mean, why not? That in there as well, yeah. That that there may be an example of one in Crucible <laughs> of War that uses a theater of war. I may have kept it simple for that very reason, but it, there is one. Yeah. Um. But yeah, so like, 
the thing that's most unique about this mission pack is that the game mechanics for it are baked into the missions. You can't play these missions without using idols. You can't play them without playing paragons. Not really. I mean, like, you could not bother with the paragons, but you kind of need the idol effects and therefore the belief levels, even if you just use the baseline one. Yeah. Um, or even if you just pick one each, if you're doing a one-off game, you just pick one belief level option each, you know, to use. But they're fundamental to how the missions play out because the idols are so key to everything. They're as important, typically, as objective markers in a standard game. Yeah. But I don't think that's a negative, not really, because when you actually play it out on the tabletop, I think you'll find it all quite simple and quite intuitive as to what does what. I've, I think it compares very nicely to the martial guitars of the Custodes, in that it sounds a lot more complicated than it actually is when you see it played out. Yeah, I've, I've never heard a good description of those rules. But, um, like, seeing, yeah, playing against them, it's, it's yeah, straightforward, really. Yeah. <laughs> and I think this is the Crusade Mission Pack equivalent. <laughs> so, uh, so while it's very much definitively a non-standard format because it does require <laughs> having to you know know and play with the war of faith rules you can't just discount the stratagems from your plague purge missions you can't just discount the progression tree from your amidst the ashes missions you have to play with your idols and so on but what's nice about it is it doesn't require non-standard army construction considerations to make it work which is what things like Planet Strike and Catastrophe and the multiplayer games do. Right. You know what I mean? Like playing the yeah. Planet Strike mission pack or playing the multiplayer mission pack changes the way you construct your army in the first place, which means you're making that conscious decision to play that kind of format of mission as your entire campaign or with lots of forethought. You can't really do a pick up and play of those. Whereas I think you can do a pick up and play of War of Faith. Yeah. Because you can still use your, your sort of standard all comers style army list and just yeah. play with these missions and add in the belief system for those games. All you need is just a couple of characters or whatever, don't you really? Yeah, a couple of characters and something extra to represent your idol, you know, that's... um icons, even if it's just a different kind of objective marker, you know, to yeah. what your objective markers are for that game. I mean we were talking about you know, a modeling project for it, but it doesn't need to be, does it? It could just be a different marker on the table. Yeah, it absolutely could be. You know, you could, two, it gives an opportunity for the two players to use both their marker sets. One player uses their set to be the objectives, yeah. one uses their set to be the idols. As long as you're obviously not using the same, exact same sets of markers each, <laughs> I suppose. Yeah. But, um, so yeah, so... So while it is great, I think, some one-off games, there is also greater depth here for players looking to run linked games or campaigns that use the belief system and the different tiers of abilities that offer a simple linear progression for players to aim towards. We were talking last episode about Space Marines and like things like Guard and stuff not having a lot to do with Crusade progression. Well, now they can invest their time and effort and resources into their belief level yeah like if you play a uh, wars of faith campaign you can play as your black templars 
as an army of faith going through retribution and further <laughs> stages while earning belief points to reach belief level five in their belief in the emperor and promoting their chaplains to gain bonus abilities and become paragons of his will and you can do all that without having to touch on the actual core crusade stuff of space marines yeah. or you can do it in addition to that level of core space marine crusade stuff yeah and suddenly you've got like as much stuff as a you know one of the newer crusade sections that like the tower or the gene sealer cults or whatever yeah it's like while we are getting closer to the end of that initial cycle of ninth edition codexes you know your guard players yep. your chaos space ring players chaos demons they, they can still play with these and have campaign stuff for crusade without needing crusade sections in yeah. new codexes as yet or as we've said earlier ones like your space means like your necrons who perhaps feel like they don't have as crunchy a crusade rules now compared to more recent books this is where they can add some extra layers yeah yeah they've definitely been uh becoming more more involved as time's gone on haven't they mm. and then i do think that pairing wars of faith missions as your crusade format with the tree system from wars on octarius would make for an excellent campaign between two or more players like the, that tree system is a way of allocating and creating your linear campaign where you can then pick whatever missions you want it to be well now if you make them all war of faith ones that is your narrative campaign right there yeah that's uh like, yeah like if if i had a live up and running youtube channel today that i was running you know regular battle reports on and I wanted to create a in-house narrative campaign to run between me and my regular like co-host or player. That's exactly what I'd be doing. Fair enough. I'd be like, here's my six game, you know, War of Faith campaign between me and you, <laughs> say. Yeah. And it's gonna be my Death Skull Orcs versus your Admech, and we're gonna play six games, and that's what it's gonna be. All six are gonna be you know, Death Skull Admech, sorry, Death Skull Admech, oh god, so Death Skulls versus Admech, but <laughs> it's going to be a War of Faith campaign, and we're going to determine those six missions by using the campaign tree system from Wars of Noctarius. and I think that will create a truly compelling narrative story and experience linking those games into a campaign. Yeah, and without having to do much kind of, you know, personal input yeah just taking the resources the games workshop is putting out there for us to play with for players to use to create their narrative gameplay experiences with without having to create their own custom scenarios custom house rules blah, blah blah feel free to do that you know cherry pick as much of this as you want i've been doing that when creating the missions for crucible of war i've been cherry picking parts of missions and theaters of war and formats to make the experience what I want it to be and what I need it to be for that environment. Yeah. Do the same with these things for your own playgroups, your own campaigns, because it's out there. It's, it's, it's there and it's great. So finally, to sort of sum all that up, my, my thoughts on Walls of Faith is that I think this mission pack is perfect 
for practiced crusade players looking to add more depth to their crusade experience so like not just your standard player who's wanting to dip their toe into crusade for the first time this is i think for people who've played enough crusade they want more depth yeah um as well as just being good for people who want to play a one-off narrative game where the storytelling is created by the mission by the inclusion of the paragons and the idols like you you, you can do both and I, I think that's great like i've like i'll put it here as my sort of like final summary if what i've preached before about plague purge being standard matched play 40k plus like it's, it's that added experience to matched play but I think Wars of Faith is Crusade Plus. <laughs> okay. It's that, that experience that is 9th edition Crusade taken to another level. Yeah. You know, where it just becomes so much better for you. Yeah. Do, do you think that it's um uh it's good that it's come out now? Like rather than right at the start of the edition. Uh, because yes. we were we were saying that the problem with all the crusade packs earlier on was that it was locked down and no one had played any games so they were all a bit superfluous well now we've had plenty of time to play quite a few crusade games uh, and get a get a feel for what we like what we don't like so this is really like hey you like crusade you like kind of getting quite involved in the nitty-gritty of it here's a whole load more stuff to throw into your crusade games um, and it's going to sort of like turn up the, the level of the crusadiness up to 11 it, yeah it absolutely does and I would say that it does that without being just unnecessary filler if that makes sense I think it has real susten- um, substance to it like right. yeah. I, I've, I think the progression system in amidst the ashes is an example of stuff for the sake of stuff where right. it's kind of just that's just a bit of like you want more crusade things here's some more crusade things that's kind of all it is it's just a bit of added bump for the sake of it whereas this i think isn't that i think this is a, a really well thought out and conceptualized next level like you say you're not just oh add some keywords and some unique xp gains for some minor upgrades to psychers and slash all vehicles this is resources requisitions agendas missions that are completely built from the ground up around this concept of idols and paragons like multiple like every faction has been considered in some way in a literal sense when it comes to assigning them the you know the, the faiths that they work with. yeah like this is in depth next level crusade yeah and that's why i love it fair enough <laughs> and i do think that is probably sort of the best sort of sentiment to really sign that off on because yeah if you're looking to start crusade and you're just wanting to mix it up from your standard match play games that you used to play i still highly advise plague purge is the place to go okay yeah but if you've played plague purge enough 
that it's now getting repetitive or you feel like you've cracked it or you're just looking for something different or more than Plague Purge. Yeah. And Wars of Faith is the next step I would uh, like advocate you go along. Well, fair enough. That's uh a pretty strong opinion so <laughs> yeah and the, the, funny thing it's the is, best of the rest then yeah and in the sense that it, it, it's the next level it, it's it, it is too complicated in some senses for someone who's just getting started with crusade that's not what it's for i i still think that like that's what plague purge is great for yeah the thing that i think is great about the fact that this mission pack exists is that before this, I didn't even really sort of think there could be another next level to Crusade. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, having your Plague Purges, you're beyond the veil, you're amidst the ashes, were nice ways of expanding on the core concept of Crusade, but I think Wars of Faith is more than just an expansion to Crusade. I think it is like an evolution of it. Yeah. Yeah, I see what you mean. It feels like it's a almost like its entire own game system built on the Crusade framework. Yes, I highly recommend it. Like, yeah, it is a thing for Crusade players. Like, if you like Crusade, get this. <laughs> like, I, I, I can't advise it enough. Okay then, we'll have to <laughs> play some games then, won't we? We will. And funnily enough, I imagine the first time I'll probably see it in use will probably be when I'm directing other people to playing it at the Crucible of War. Yeah, fair. But that's just me and the fact that, unfortunately, I don't have the um, all the time in the world right now to play games where I can. Like you say, it's all about having that conversation beforehand and, you know, sort of working out what's going to be right for the players at the table to have that shared narrative experience. Yeah. If you if you and me get behind the table, Dan, we'll be playing this. Okay. I mean, <laughs> I think that's the recommendation we need, isn't it? Yeah. But speaking of recommendations... Oh, I like what you did there. <laughs> <laughs> let's round out tonight's show then with our community spotlight because we didn't get a chance to get to it last week, but we will definitely get to it this week, especially since on the day of recording is <laughs> International Women's Day. Yes. So we figured what better time than now to shout out some uh, some women in Warhammer that we what, think are particularly... What better time than like a week afterwards? <laughs> right? Yeah. You know, that unfortunately that's just the linear nature of time. Yeah. <laughs> and I don't and we're not streaming live. So when you hear this, it will have been um, International Women's Day plus seven yeah something like <laughs> or, that. Or something like that but in just, either case just you know believe us it is currently as we talk now have faith yeah so to that point dan who is your woman in warhammer that you want to <laughs> okay uh so i've i've uh, picked out an instagram and twitter account that i uh i like it's uh kit bash cat uh it's all one word and cat is with a c um she just does a lot of cool uh, sort of grim dark style models uh, she's been doing a lot of eldar they've got a nice sort of bone and blue scheme at the moment uh looking a little back a little bit further back she's done some iron warriors uh, and before that she did a, a custom space marine chapter 
uh, called the Krakenborn, I think. Um, and they are uh, uh, all uh, female space marines, which is quite cool. You know, if you like that kind of thing. Yes, I, th I think I've seen her Krakenborn um, marines before. Yeah. They, they are very cool looking. I'm sure that none of our uh, none of our listeners would have any any problem with that at all. <laughs> none at I all. I hope. Yeah, like I say, I, I hope no one has any problems. Like everyone's hobby is their own sort of thing and all that. Exactly. Um, but yeah, like they, regardless of your opinion on female space marines, <laughs> the models themselves look excellent. They really do. Yep. Yeah, excellent. Um, go check her out. Go follow her stuff. Um, I will be doing exactly that myself right now. Perfect. Now, for my shout out, I wanted to shout out similarly an Instagram account is the main place you'll go find her. But this is um, Rach, who is at the Warhammer Girl. So, I mean, one thing I'm impressed that she she has that handle. <laughs> they, uh, yeah, <laughs> yeah, she's very much the Warhammer Girl um, of. Um, International Women's Day on this Warhammer podcast. So it Fair. Seems, seems appropriate. But uh, the reason why I want to shout her out is because um, of her involvement in not one, but two separate and very excellent brand new podcasts that recently hit the 40k podcast scene. Okay. So, because amazingly, she's co-hosting um, in both the Black Library Book Club and... Okay. The Codex and Coffee podcasts. Oh, and uh, I, I've heard of one of those. Um, which one? Uh, the Black Library Book Club. That's a quipster thing, isn't it? It, it is one of the many quipster things. Yes, yeah. it's one of the more recent um, quipster projects amongst the other things that he works on. But yes, um, Rach has been involved in co-hosting that as well. And basically, the, the Black Library Book Club podcast is um, the start of a, um, it's basically, you know, it's a book club podcast, but it's specifically yep. on the Horus Heresy series. Okay. And the, yeah, so the the intent behind it all is that they, their great plan, and so far they've been sticking to it, is to read through each and every one of the Horus Heresy books and that's, do a podcast review on it. And that's so a lot. Far, that's a yeah, lot. I'll put it this way, um, episode one and two were about Horus Rising. Ah, okay. About an hour and a half a piece each. But the reason why it's really interesting is because they've got kind of like um, three unique experiences um, sort of to it all between the three hosts. So they've got like three unique perspectives and um, obviously Quipster is the uh, the law veteran, as it were, the person who's read these books many, 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 many times before. You know, I think he, I think this read through will be his third read through. He says of the Horus Heresy series. God, what a nerd! <laughs> yeah, so he's got this very sort of like you know deep familiarity with the material, whereas Rach has this unique perspective in that this is the first time she's reading them all. So she's getting the first-time reader perspective, but also she's new to the hobby. Yep. So she doesn't know the law. So, like, it's almost kind of like she doesn't know how it ends. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. So despite the fact that 
anyone else who has you know been steeped in this law for even just probably a couple of years knows about the battle on the vengeful spirit do you know what i mean yeah <laughs> knows about how it interesting goes. I, mean, I mean obviously I, I think she does know do you know what i mean that like obviously things do not go well for the emperor <laughs> yeah um but she doesn't know any of the um the midpoints, if that makes sense, you know. So she yeah, none know of the about, details. Like, none of the details. She doesn't know about like you know Istvan or the dropside massacre. She doesn't know about Kalf and that. She doesn't know anything about um, the Solar War and all the rest of it. It's, but she also doesn't know a great deal about the forty k hmm. universe and law and timeline because she's new to the hobby, and she's learning all this um, basically by being pitched in at the deep end. And it's really interesting how she's been she's committed to this podcast and this epic journey that she's going to go on reading all these books for the first time and discussing everything um in this book club format where the twists and the revelations and stuff are going to be new to her and she might not understand some of the ramifications of some of the stuff when she first reads it hmm. um like for example when she's reading Horace Rising she was learning a lot about Ulanor and the concept of what it was to be the War Master because that wasn't pre-assumed knowledge for her and so on. Yeah. But... I'll uh I'll I'll wait for the spicy takes when it gets to the when they get to reviewing uh, is it the the Battle of the Abyss? <laughs> yeah. Um <laughs> So yeah, there's so one it's impressive that she's pitching herself very publicly into being involved in the hobby in this way where she's um she's new to it in terms of her knowledge but she's so enthusiastic about the hobby and the universe that she's just diving in and yeah you know, her first time reading Horace heresy series she's reviewing it on a podcast <laughs> do you know what i mean yeah um i mean and... it's probably a good way to 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 go about reading a book isn't it to read it with a reviewer's eye and try and absorb the detail yeah um and just she's not only doing that with the black library club but then she's also co-hosting um the new codex and coffee podcast okay um which is somewhat um a a, a we started with the pun worked backwards <laughs> concept <laughs> um because basically it's uh, sort of book club equivalent for the 40k codexes okay so so she's co-hosting that one with war hipster right yeah okay and then they also have a guest on every episode as it were but who is then going to be like a faction specialist about that codex okay so when are they doing orcs well who knows <laughs> um i may have possibly already been quiet in trying to appear on said show as an orc <laughs> We'll see whether or not my uh, my pleas fall on deaf ears or not. <laughs> but we'll see. Um, but again, the the really thing that's admirable, um, particularly for her, is that she's new to the hobby. She doesn't yeah. know this stuff. Like her her own army of choice that she started the hobby with is Necrons. So the first codex they reviewed on the show was the Necron Codex, and they're splitting it into two parts where. Part one of the book is all about the lore and the narrative of that race, and then the second episode in that book is all about the gameplay and actually how the army plays on the tabletop. Cool. And all of it's new to her. 
So she's learning all this stuff as she goes along. Like, it's her army of choice, but actually she learned a lot from this first episode about the Necrons that she didn't know. Fair enough. And she's going to have that yep. same experience with every codex and army she goes through. So she, while she's learning the Horus Heresy in depth, <laughs> as she it's, reviews that one, she's it's also fairly learning, intense, isn't it? Right, yeah. She's also learning intensely about every faction in 40k on another show. Yeah. And I think it's just really admirable for not just, you know, as a, a woman in Warhammer, not even just as a new player in Warhammer, but also putting herself out there essentially as a content creator, you know, a, yeah. a podcast host, when this is all new to her. Like, there are a lot of people who, you know, contemplate doing content creation like this, who obsess and worry about being knowledgeable enough about these things to not be picked apart by the comments you know to be picked apart by listeners and viewers and that's people who've played this hobby for years and she's pitching in and throwing herself right into it very openly saying she's learning as she goes do you know what i mean it's all new to her yeah and i just think it's a, it's a very admirable thing that she's doing i mean i i guess if you're going to call yourself the warhammer girl you probably <laughs> do need to throw yourself like headfirst into warhammer yeah, <laughs> I, I can see that, yeah. <laughs> um, so, you know, well done. Yeah. Well then, Rach, uh, I, I do think she is, uh, she's proving to be a, a great role model for other women in Warhammer who want to be involved, or even just new players in general, to be honest. Yeah. I mean, I think it's, uh, it's probably worth saying that, you know, it, it's great that there are, relatively speaking, so many, you know, women and you know not men in warhammer these days like i i don't know about you but when i first started it was uh, very um very much more skewed than it is today oh definitely like it, it is a a world of diversity better these days and you yeah. know i mean i think the world in general is but also i, I think warhammer and its community is a microcosm of that yeah you know so yeah, it's it's only a good thing, and um, I think so much of it is represented now by the the growth in the community and the social side of it all. And yeah, it's, it's great. Like more power to anyone and everyone who wants to play this hobby, and I hope they find it as welcoming as anyone would, regardless yeah. of who they are, where they come from. Uh, yeah, I certainly hope they find this podcast welcoming. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Even with my uh, strong opinions on how great certain crusade packs are, <laughs> yeah, uh, they may be strong, but hopefully not necessarily controversial. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, I think I think that is everything for tonight, Dan. So I think thank so. you again for joining me. No problem. I'll have to go work on the next show now, which uh, probably won't be out in another week's time, but. Not with that attitude, probably, it won't be. Well, it, it won't be far behind, I assume. <laughs> so yes, um, thank you all for listening. Until next time, guys. This has been the Narrative Wargamer Podcast, helping you to discover many more truly excellent ways to play 40 games. <laughs>